Welcome to Paul.com Security Weekly, episode 183 for Thursday, January 14th, 2010. episode sponsored by Tenable Network Security. Tenable is the developer of enterprise vulnerability compliance and log management software, but most notably, the creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Tenable Security Center extends the part of Nessus to reporting, remediation workflow, IDS event correlation, and much more. Tenable also offers a professional feed for immediate access to new Nessus plugins and compliance checks. Tenable, unified security monitoring. This episode also sponsored by Core Security Technologies, helping you penetrate your network. Now version 10.0 with Wi-Fi food good to go. Rock out with your exploit and antenna out. Listen to this podcast and qualify to receive a 10% discount on Core Impact, the world's best penetration testing tool. Create a hailstorm for your web applications with Sensic Hailstorm Web Application Testing Framework. Powerful features such as quantitative scoring and support attacks allow you to exploit vulnerabilities in your web applications. Sign up for a free trial today! Welcome to this edition of Ball.com Security Weekly. I'm your host, Paul Asador. And I am your host, Larry147.525 Pesci. What the heck does that even mean? That's going to be the uh, two meter simplex frequency we're going to use at ShmooCon. Okay, well, I'm Mick Douglas, and I just learned something new. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Carlos Perez. And that, and that's, that's it. That's, that's, yeah. Darren, Darren, Dan. you there? Darren, Darren. Darren's Hi. Watching. He's watching TV. Hi. Hi. I, I got nothing. <laughs> that's what she yeah. said. Yeah. Oof. Oh. Oof. Man. Oh. Alrighty. <laughs> Ooh. Let's jump. You're right. Yeah. I think you got some on you, Larry. Oh, I did. That for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, man. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Upcoming webcasts. Yeah. Very excited. Paul.com has two upcoming webcasts in January with more to follow. Technically three. Oh, three. Now it's three. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so we've got two that we're doing on our own. You can register. You can go to paul.com.com forward slash webcasts and sign up. If you register at any time before the webcast, you qualify to receive a free iPod. Free iPod Woo-hoo. Nano. Brand new. Brand spanking freaking new iPod Nano. Spanking? Larry will come out and spank you and then give you your free iPod. How's that? Or is the spanking like little gifts that we'll put on the iPod? It could be videos of Larry. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, can we like put in a drawing to not get that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but Mick, that might go viral. Oh, Oh, that's true. Oh, so oh. register today, paul.com.com, yes. forward slash 
webcast. And we also have got the White Hat World Late Breaking Computer Tech Vectors webcast coming this month. The registration yes. link will be available pretty soon. This month, hosted by the one, the only, Carlos Perez. Correct. Oh, good. You actually asked him about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless you're just throwing that at him now. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, oh, by the way, hey, Carlos, you're on for this month's LBC <laughs> nope. TV. Nope. I checked with him beforehand. We're good. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, just our two webcasts we're giving, one will be on web application uh, penetration testing, and one will be on client-side penetration testing. So it'll be kind of like the whole crew's tips and tricks for those uh, you know web application testing and client-side uh, penetration testing. And uh, I have to say, there's some pretty cool stuff that we're working on for both of those. Um, Com Security Weekly webcast, where we only put the tip in. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to follow that up and say, once we've done the webcasts, they will be archived in the brand new Paul.com Insider. Oh, Insider. So we put the tip uh-huh. Insider. And uh, oh, wow. uh, if you go to Paul.com, nice. wow, we're just going right there, right, yeah, off, right off the bat, Darren. There was no, the no resting there. It was just right, diving right into the Insider, actually. Uh, so Paul.com.com forward slash Insider. You can sign up for the community. It's a Ning community. So, you know, it has... If you want other people's credentials, I'm sure there's cross site scripting in there. It's okay. It's okay. Nice. Um, yeah. So the um, documents. Yeah, there'll be stuff in there that will be special to Paul.com Insider. So right now there's some slides from a webcast that we did. Um, the audio from the webcast and video will be posted there. So what I'm hoping to do is record both the audio and video. Take those about 30 to 60 days after the webcast has been produced. You can go into the Paul.com Insider and get the audio and video from those particular webcasts. So that's just one sample of the premium content that we'll be putting in, into the, the Paul.com Insider. So go join. There's an open forum, open blog, open discussion there. Uh, you know, go go have at it. Very nice. Um, Shmoocon. Sands? You should want to skip that one. Shmoocon. Yeah, it's okay. We've talked about <laughs> We've it We've talked enough. about it a lot. Uh, yep. Yeah. So Shmoocon is coming up. It is damn soon. I heard from somebody today that they they like might have a uh, team entry for the Schmooball launcher contest. Oh, good, good. Ooh, uh huh, uh huh. Darren, you and I have made some great progress on the we'll crush them. We'll crush them. <laughs> yeah, hey, you never know. You <laughs> we'll, never... we'll crush them like those cedar shingles. Oh man. <laughs> so what? What? Fla- last Friday with the Schmooball launcher, we uh, we turned cedar shingles into toothpicks. Wait, how? With the, the, the Schmooball? Yeah, with the launcher. Oh, yeah. Ooh. All I gotta say is protect your junk. Yes. <laughs> Wear a cup. No, I, I highly suggest that Mr. Potter wears a cup. <laughs> no, there's no need to target. There's lots of other people. Oh no, no, those are the yeah. only. That's the only person you're allowed to this year. If you have a schmooball launcher. Oh really? You are not allowed to fire it at speakers unless it is during opening or closing ceremonies. That's, wow. the, that's the rules. That's but the rules. That's not fair. Well, the problem is. What about is, in the hallways? Well, no, not in the hallways. Throw, you can still Absolutely. throw the schmoo ball. Did we Absolutely. get the loophole that if you but work for. You're not for allowed it? to use things of a mechanical nature to increase the velocity. Correct. Unless, Correct. did we get the loophole in there? You work for In Guardians and you're wearing one of those shirts. Correct. Because that's like a target. Worked so hard. I know. Having the system 
well, automatically we're, fired we're, when it sees that logo. <laughs> I know, I know. But we're we're gonna have plenty of opportunities to uh, do some testing and and do some test firings and demonstrations before the actual contest and and all that type of stuff. What if we get volunteers? That's perfectly acceptable. All um, right. Again, not in the hallway. We have to have we have a special opening area. up now. You get a free date with Larry if you volunteer <laughs> to be shot with the schmooball candy to have it be captured on film. We'll post it to our YouTube channel. Yeah, but the problem is once you get shot with the schmooball cannon, you're just not going to be in the mood. For a date. Shh, you're giving you're giving away the secret. Yep. <laughs> but be ready for pain. But we're going to have t-shirts and stickers and beer koozies and you bottle know, openers, toothpicks, <laughs> toothpicks. <laughs> we, we can make you <laughs> toothpicks out of cedar shingles. Stay away from my toothpick, all right? Um, and uh, <laughs> I picked up all the supplies and all the goods we need to uh, handcraft. Clue by fours. Special limited edition, Paul.com, Schmoocon edition, numbered Clue by fours. We will also be taking uh, uh, Clue by four, number zero, uh, having all the Paul.com Security Weekly members sign it, and we're going to give that to uh, Johnny Long's uh, Hackers for Charity silent auction. Cool. Very nice. I'm totally going to put in some bids on that because I love me Clue by fours. Oh. Very cool. And uh, with that, we will take a short commercial break and come back with the fabulous interview for this show. Slide your card here mm-hmm. um, for the donkey show. This is the only field where you, you can snort, vomit, and burp all in the same sentence and not be talking about bodily functions. And we're back with Didier Stevens as an IT securities consultant working at a large Belgian financial corporation and maintains a security blog at blog.didierstevens.com. If Didier is not playing with Google AdWords, he is playing with PDF readers, Twitter-controlled Christmas trees, or RFID tags. Welcome, Didier. Hey, guys. Great to be on the show. It's, put put that know, sticker closer. We're very, um, we're, we're very happy to have you on the show, Didier. I know you've been listening uh, since we have first uh, started the podcast, really. Almost, yeah. Not the very first, but I still remember Twitchy. Uh, <laughs> yes, fondly. Moment of silence. We all remember Twitchy. Moment of silence for Twitchy. I spoke okay. to him. I spoke to him today. He's yes. got some interesting research going on. Let me tell you. Oh yeah, that's all I can say. Mm. So the uh, let's see, um, Didier, how did you get your start in information security, my friend? Well, uh, I got my start in uh, 1986. 
1986, uh, I obtained uh, an account to an HP 9000 machine. So it was the first time I worked on a Unix machine. And you know, um, before that, I only worked with uh, simple operating systems like uh, Apple DOS, CPM, um, DOS, MS-DOS, mm-hmm. PC-DOS. Mm-hmm. And those were only uh, single-user, uh, single-process uh, operating systems. But then uh, I discovered uh, Unix, and, uh, well, the very first uh, big difference was that I got a user account with a password and uh, that my rights were restricted. And that was a, a big eye-opener for me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, when I first became exposed to Unix, Linux, I, I just kind of instantly latched onto it as well. Um, I think it's kind of every yeah, geek's yeah. dream to, you know, use the other mm-hmm. operating systems, and then all of a sudden you're thrust into this wonderful thing called Unix and Linux, so... It is. Wow. So, so, so you get your but, start uh, in HP UX yep. then? Yep, that's what's HP UX, yep. Wow, that, that must uh, have been painful. I, I also got a Bob story, you know. Oh, you do? Oh, we want to hear the yeah, Bob. Yeah, I do. And, and we Bob. Did, you know, we didn't know that you knew Bob, but go ahead. I know Bob. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, uh, occasionally he's really on the run and he has to go to Belgium to that's get great beer. <laughs> to get great beer, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's right. <laughs> Which, by the way, while we're talking about it, thank you for the great beers, Belgium. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So Bob got his start in, uh, in the early 80s, when he got uh, an Apple II computer, you see. And uh, he, did, he did a lot of reverse engineering of uh, copy protection schemes, you know, for games on floppy disks. That's when he got his start. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I, rem- I remember those days of playing uh, Doom in my college dorm room and snaking a serial cable through the ceiling so that we could play multiplayer games. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, so DDA, tell us about some of the the tools that that you're writing. Um, we've talked about you know pretty much all of them. One of the last ones was. Um, uh, select my parent, which I talked about on our late breaking computer tech vectors. Yeah, I remember that. Yep, and you know, all of some of your PDF tools, and, and tell us about some of your uh, your good stuff. Okay, yeah. Well, so select my parent is, is a fun little tool. Uh, starting with uh, with the Vista kernel, you can create a new process. So you use the create process uh, function from the API. And what's new since uh, kernel Vista is that you can specify the parent process. You know, before that, when you use that create function to create a new process, the parent process would be the owner process who creates the new process. So, and the new process would have the same uh, token, so the same account rights as uh, the parent process. But the fun thing with uh, Vista is that you can select another parent process. And for example, if you're um, a local admin, that you uh, designate uh, the system uh, process as, uh, for example, ELSAS, Local Security Authority, mm-hmm. as the parent process. Now, of course, to do that, you, you need admin rights because you have to open a handle to the parent process. And for to be able to open a handle to the parent process, you need, you need specific uh, privileges like uh, debug privileges except, of course, if you're doing that to your own processes. And that's why you need admin rights. And one of the fun things you can do with that is that if you're, for example, a simple uh, local admin, 
is that you can, for example, create a new account for a domain admin. <laughs> the, the condition, of course, is that there has to be a process from uh, a domain admin on, on that machine. Otherwise, okay. you cannot say, okay, take uh, that pr process as my parent. And you don't have to provide credentials at all. You know, it's interesting. In all of Microsoft's advisories uh, that talk about exploits that are um, uh, remote uh, and revolve around the user clicking something, they always say something to the effect of, well, the effects of this vulnerability are limited if the user who's running the vulnerable software is running as a non-administrator. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I always found that there's lots of different ways to escalate privileges. And if yep. you're able to escalate privileges to administrator, even above and beyond that, it's even worse because there's lots of ways, right? There's token stealing and then the select uh, parent methods that you, method here, um, that you mentioned here that allow you to go from a local administrator to a domain administrator, yep, yep. which is even worse. So you go from just yep. owning that person's data on the computer to owning the computer to owning the network. And there seems to be very little protections in Microsoft's operating system to prevent against that. Yeah, and, and another thing uh, that someone uh, told me is that he found that tool uh, interesting. He, he included in a... Uh, in uh, his debug tools, is that some malware will check if its parent is the Windows Explorer process oh. to, to uh, make uh, reversing and uh, doing dynamic analysis of the malware more difficult. The malware will check if uh, the parent process is uh, the Explorer. And if you launch it in a debugger, of course, Windows Explorer is not the parent. But with that call, uh, you can make that uh, Windows Explorer is the parent. Hmm. Okay. And then uh, Skywing, um, uh, the famous uh, hacker who uh, bashed uh, ASLR and who is now working for um, Microsoft, he made a comment on my blog and he told me that, in fact, you, can al you could already do that before uh, Windows Vista, but not through the functions that are expo exported in the kernel 32. You have to go one level lower to the NTDLL DLL and use the API that is there, but it's not documented. And in, with that API, uh, for example, on uh, 2000 or Windows XP, you can also uh, do that trick. Mm. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, DDA, tell us about some of your uh, your PDF tools. Okay. Okay. I have two um, two main PDF tools. They are both analysis tools. They are completely written in Python. So you can use them on many operating systems uh -huh. <laughs> for which you can find the Python interpreter. Uh, well, they are not yet uh, up to date for Python 3. Um, I know that my second tool, PDF Parser, has some issues with uh, Python 3, so you have to stick with uh, Python 2, for example, 2.6.2 uh, for the moment. Okay. Um, and they are also pure Python tools, so you don't need any extra modules or any other library of Python uh, that you need to install. My tool is uh, contained in itself. So I have two tools. Um, I have PDF Analyzer, that was the first uh, tool I wrote. And PDF Analyzer is uh, an analysis tool. It helps you to uh, dissect the insights of a PDF document and uh, help you understand what's inside so that you can perform your uh, analysis. And 
one of the reasons I decided to uh, write them is Python is not only because you could then uh, use them on uh, different platforms. I have even had um, a simple version of uh, my parser running on my mobile phone, a Nokia phone, because it also has a Python interpreter for the, the Nokia phones, the sm- Nokia smartphones. Mm. But another reason is that um, it's more difficult to uh, exploit uh, a, um, a program written in Python, for example, buffer overflows or less likely to impact uh, your program uh, in Python and, um, compared to having written them in C, for example. Because uh, the purpose of uh, my tools is to analyze uh, malicious uh, PDF documents. It, it yeah. also works for yeah. benign uh, PDF documents, of course, but the idea is to analyze malicious PDF documents and uh, of course, I don't want uh, my tools to uh, be owned. Yeah, kind of like, uh, kind of like why? why uh, I mean, Wireshark is kind of a, a good example or yeah, a, ba- yeah, a bad example. All the right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 all the dissectors uh, of uh, Python are uh, sorry, Python of Wireshark are, are written in C, uh, so you have to uh, watch out. Yeah, yeah, yes. So, what do some of your your PDF uh, analysis tools do? So the first one, a PDF parser, will help you to uh, analyze a PDF. For example, if um, a PDF file contains uh, JavaScript that has been uh, compressed and obfuscated inside the PDF, and I'm talking about PDF obfuscation, not JavaScript obfuscation, then my tool will allow you to extract that because um, I've added support for several obfuscation techniques that are used uh, in PDF. So, so you're talking about obfuscated code within the PDF? No, I'm talking about obfuscated PDF language. Oh, okay. For example, for example, um, JavaScript is identified by the JavaScript keyword in the PDF mm-hmm. language. Yeah, yeah. So you write JavaScript uh, in ASCII, but you can replace each individual letter of the word JavaScript with its ex- uh, equivalent. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways that uh, you can obfuscate uh, a PDF document because when I'm looking for the string JavaScript inside a PDF document to locate the JavaScript, if it has been encoded with hex code and I'm not looking for that hex code, then I will miss it. Mm-hmm. I see. So and, they're, and so they're basically they're encoding things like JavaScript within a PDF to execute and do malicious stuff with. Yeah, that's... You can also compress it in several ways, and that's also one way uh, to obfuscate. Mm-hmm. For example, um, you can first encode uh, your payload or your JavaScript in um, hexadecimal, and uh, afterwards uh, compress it. Now, if you, one of the things you're allowed to do in the hex representation is that you can add white space as much as you like. So you can add random white space and you will have a totally different um, hex code. And when you compress uh, that different hex code, you will each time have uh, a unique uh, signature for that uh, compressed uh, JavaScript. Hmm. Similar. I mean, they do that in they do that similar techniques in web pages, right? Yep. Hmm. Excellent. So your your tool is uh, my first. Yeah, that's your first tool. Okay. Okay, and later I, I wrote a PDF ID, and a PDF ID is in fact a, a triage tool, so it will help you to decide if a PDF file is potentially malicious or not. 
And if you then decide with a tool that it is malicious, then you can go home and uh, analyze it further with a PDF uh, part. Yeah, I gotcha. P- PDF ID is, in fact, uh, just a complex uh, string scanner, and it will look, for example, for the presence of JavaScript, automatic uh, actions, um, JBIG code, uh, flash, and it will just tell you if those features are present in the PDF file or not. Now, is that, I and mean, that's not 100% indicative of a malicious PDF? No, no, no not at all. Mm. It's, uh, it helps you triage, so yeah. it, uh, to <clears throat> split up the PDF files you receive for analysis between uh, potentially malicious and uh, potentially benign. So, so now, potentially to, malicious is is that taking advantage a PDF that's trying to take advantage of a particular exploit, or is this just a PDF that's including extra stuff that could be used maliciously, regardless if there's a vulnerability? Just, uh, just uh, the presence of uh, JavaScript or the presence of um, PDF keywords that uh, are known to contain vulnerabilities. Like I gotcha. Um, uh, about a year ago, the JBIG two. Uh, Compression method. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it'll pick up on both vulnerabilities and usage of other yeah. technologies that could be potentially yeah. malicious. And um, one thing about the PDF ID is that it's also running on virus turtle. You know, uh, the web uh, service where you can send off uh, samples to have them scanned by 40 plus uh, antivirus uh, uh, program programs. Mm-hmm. So my PDF ID tool is also running. On uh, virus total, so if you have a suspicious PDF file, you just send it off to virus total. It will be scanned by 40 plus antivirus scanners. If any of the antivirus uh, products tells you that it's uh, a, v- a malware, then you're already fixed and you know that uh, the uh, file is malicious. But if none of the antivirus programs detect it as uh, a malicious file, then you can have a look at the output of a PDF ID. Mm-hmm. It will be a uh, with the metadata produced by uh, VirusTotal, you'll find it at the end mm-hmm. of the report. And if you see that my tool reports that it contains uh, JavaScript, it's only uh, one uh, page long, and it is also contains obfuscation. That's also one of the things my tool will identify that obfuscation has been used. Then you can be pretty sure that it's malware. So are there, are there other people <coughs> using it aside from VirusTotal in conjunction with their antivirus software as well? Well, uh, I know that uh, several uh, sense uh, internet storm center uh, handlers are using it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they posted a couple of uh, blog posts uh, on the diary, mm-hmm. like uh, Boyan. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Nice. DDA, are you a, a handler for the IC as well? No, no, I'm not. Okay. I thought I saw your name mentioned. It's probably because everybody else is using your tools or mentioning right, you. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 because they everybody's got a secret man crush on DDA. <laughs> so, so or DDA not so secret. I don't know. Yeah. So DDA. Well, now it's not a secret, Mick, <laughs> that you no. have a crush. <laughs> no. So uh, DDA, why why your PDF so bad? Like why why is this whole format totally screwed up and vulnerable? Well, it's not. It's not actually the format itself that's uh, screwed up because uh, it's it's not as bad, in fact, as uh, we had uh, with uh, HTML and uh, JavaScript. For example, when you use uh, JavaScript in uh, HTML, you can, in fact, uh, emit HTML code. You can uh, do a document write and write any HTML uh, you want to do. Uh, that's something 
you cannot do uh, in the PDF language. So the JavaScript inside PDF cannot emit uh, PDF code. But the thing is that the software that has to render the PDF document has to be very complex because uh, it has to support a lot of features, compressor features, image uh, types, uh, fonts, well, a lot of stuff. So you have complex software, and complex software has uh, a lot of bugs, and many of those bugs can be uh, exploited. Mm, and okay. We, so, yeah, we've, Mick, you and I have talked about this, I don't know how many times, that, you know... <laughs> Complex. You talk about dollar for this. <laughs> yeah, you, you talk about complex software and in stuff that renders PDFs. The PDF spec and Mick, I'm going to quote you here. The PDF spec is so mammoth. Mick is thoroughly convinced that his refrigerator is a valid PDF document. <laughs> Nobody's yet been able to prove me wrong. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but actually, one of the things that I'd be curious. Um, so we're stuck with the PDFs. Um, just because they are handy and it's nice to have them, but what are some of the things that um, we as security professionals or even end users can do to help protect ourselves from these malicious PDFs? Because, um, you know, scanning them all with your tool, for some folks, that's just not going to be doable. What are some other well, things course, that we could do? No, well, the best thing you can do uh, in general, uh, with the malicious documents, is uh, run as a simple user, as a limited user, not as a uh, local admin. Because the thing is that uh, if you look at a, at a shell code that is found in malicious documents, so I'm not, I'm not only talking about PDF, but also Word documents, PowerPoint, Excel. If you look at a shell code that is used inside uh, those documents, that is found in the wild. I'm not talking about proof of concept or really targeted attacks, but uh, uh-huh. the malware that's found in the wild that targets the general internet population. That shellcode is rather limited. The thing it does is it will download a file or extract a file from the document, write that file to System32, and then execute that file, and that's all it does. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the rights, Write to system 32, the shell code will just fail at the moment, mm. and yeah. uh, you are protected. <clears throat> it's, but it's just a matter of time before they uh, start being able to uh, write yeah. it elsewhere. It, it's an arms arm race, of course. Yes. Um, now, another thing you can do with uh, PDF documents is disable JavaScript. Because, uh, again, all the malware you see in the wild, in fact, uses JavaScript. To exploit uh, bugs in the JavaScript API uh, of the PDF rendering uh, software or to perform a heap spray when it exploits a vulnerability um, in the PDF language. For example, all the samples I found for the JBIG2 vulnerability was a PDF uh, vulnerability, in fact, a compression uh, vulnerability. Hmm. That, that, uh, those Malicious PDF documents always had a JavaScript heap, heap spray so that they could exploit the vulnerability. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen actually in the wild uh, PDF documents who uh, are pure uh, PDF exploits or don't use uh, JavaScript. I know that they exist uh, in proof of concept and also, for example, in the, in the Canvas uh, tool. <laughs> there you have, for example, an exploit for JBIG2 decode uh, with pure... Um, <clears throat> A few exploit without JavaScript. Hmm. 
So what and the thing is with the go ahead. Yep. No, go ahead. Okay, and the last thing about uh, disabling JavaScript is that now, so if you if you use a Adobe Reader up till uh, the previous version of Adobe Reader, when you disabled JavaScript and uh, you open a PDF document that contains JavaScript, you would get uh, a pop-up, and that pop-up would tell you that the document contains JavaScript, and it would uh, propose you by default to enable JavaScript. Yeah. So by the by the way, you've turned by the way you've turned off JavaScript. This document has JavaScript. Would you like to enable yep. it? Why? Well, yes. Thank yes. you. Uh, yes. Oh, no. Maybe. Default, maybe. Yeah. Is there a maybe? But now, since uh, now with the last uh, versions of uh, Adobe Reader, you don't get uh, a pop-up anymore. You get a kind of um, alert bar, yeah, like you have in uh, Internet Explorer, when, uh, for example, you have to download a file mm-hmm. or uh, install an ActiveX component, you will get uh, a warning bar at the top of the document. And, uh, Do you think that really helps going from a dialog box to a warning bar? Yes, I, I'm, I'm sure it will help because um, the pop-up uh, prevents you from reading the document. You see, the, the pop-up is a, di- a modal dialog box. It sits in front of uh, your PDF document and uh, it's covering part of your PDF document. You cannot uh, read your yeah. complete yeah, PDF yeah, yeah, document yeah, yeah. and you have to use the scroll bar. You cannot use the scroll bar, so you have to... Uh, click on that dialog box and when uh, in a new version with uh, that bar you don't have to do any action you can just read your document and uh, the, the default action is uh, it, there is no default action that is proposed yeah, so you yeah, can yeah. re-enable JavaScript but it's not the default action that is proposed interesting so are there other things like that or other things that Adobe can do in their code for their Adobe reader that will help improve well, the security well, the, the the best thing they can do uh, in the code, of course, is uh, to use secure coding techniques so that they don't uh, produce bugs. And if they uh, produce bugs, that the potential to uh, exploit them and um, to have uh, remote code execution is uh, limited. Mm. Now, wait. So, why do we need? Can we disable JavaScript in PDF documents? Like, why do we need? Yeah, why? Why do I need JavaScript in a PDF? I, I can I can hear it now, but my PDF doesn't work. <laughs> well, no. <clears throat> For most documents, <clears throat> like uh, books or text or brochures, it's it's no issue at all. But JavaScript is uh, intensely used uh, with PDF forms. So to uh, complete forms, that there is input validation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, also for order forms that uh, subtotals and uh, sales tax uh, is calculated, that's why uh, PDF is used. Uh, I'm told, for example, that uh, the U.S. government uh, uses, for example, the IRS uses a lot of PDF documents with uh, extensive uh, uh-huh. JavaScript to uh, do form uh, input validation of the form. <clears throat> so, so, are there other more secure? Sorry, like yeah. other more secure clients other than Adobe Reader? Like, what is the security level of Fox Apple's it. preview Fo- or, Fox or Foxit or something? Well, Foxit is uh, less targeted, but uh, I've also looked at Foxit. It, it also contains uh, bugs, of course, and. Um, 
Foxit reader. Foxit uh, company has also started to uh, add JavaScript support. So with the very first uh, releases of uh, the Foxit reader, you had no JavaScript support at all. Mm. So can we go download those? Versions. Can we download those no, earlier no. versions? But that you know that breeds vulnerabilities probably in itself. Yeah. In itself, <coughs> yeah. yeah. What, so, now, what about Apple? What about Apple's preview? Because uh, that renders PDF documents and images um, and lots of other fun stuff. W- what are the? Yeah, I'm not very familiar with uh, Apple's preview, but I remember that someone uh, a year ago told me that uh, he uh, did. He uh, looked at some of my uh, JBIG2 uh, proof of concept code, and uh, he also got a crashing preview. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I, I would imagine. So. I mean, because Apple's code is pretty crappy to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all all the shell code you find uh, in uh, yeah, PDF malware yeah. in the yeah. wild for the moment is targeting uh, Windows. You know, so yeah. I mean, when I build my when I build my botnet, I mean, when Bob builds his botnets, they, you know, he targets <laughs> Windows systems primarily. Right, right. So. so I have a, I have an interesting uh, interesting posit for you a question. Um, thinking about you know how that. Uh, the the PDF documents are using JavaScript for input validation. Um, what happens now if you disable JavaScript um, in the PDF? You are able to fill it out and not are now not doing uh, input validation. You're putting that input validation in the hands of the user. Um, you're mm-hmm. now submitting that PDF back to someone. Is it possible now to potentially go in reverse? in that you're including um, exploit code in one of those fields that now when they're opening it, um, the input validation is not happening and something else is happening on the recipient's end. Yeah, if they don't do the server-side uh, client, sorry, server-side input validation, yeah, of course that can happen. Mm. Uh, let's say that, uh, that they're just uh, issuing uh, SQL commands uh, behind that and they don't uh, use... Uh, Techniques to prevent SQL injection. <laughs> you could, for example, do SQL injection through that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Nice. Scary. All right. So, uh, Didier, what are some of the other things that you've uh, been working on and uh, blocking about, aside from this uh, PDF madness? Yeah. Um, one of the things I've also been working on, for example, is uh, uh, recently is uh, the... A Nixort search tool. So I have a, a brute force uh, searching tool that will look for strings inside uh, any binary. But again, you will use it uh, on malware. And it looks, uh, it will brute force the malware to discover strings that have been uh, XOR, ROT, or uh, ROL uh, encoded. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you I frequently use it to uh, search for the keyword HTTP inside uh, malicious files. And what, that gives you the website that they're calling back to? Yep. Mm. If, mm-hmm. if they use the simple uh, uh, XOR encoding. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It seems that malware yeah. writers and, and people putting malicious stuff in PDF aren't aren't that advanced. I mean, do you see that? changing and did you see them using more advanced techniques for obfuscation and and covering their tracks yeah i see more of a since um i think about almost two years ago now that i talked about uh, that uh, name obfuscation so that you use uh, hex code now we see uh, a lot of a lot more uh, pdf documents that uh, use that obfuscation Mm -hmm. you also see more sophisticated uh, JavaScript uh, obfuscation itself inside. 
for the PDF uh, document. One of the things that uh, I see coming now, and that's why uh, I recently released uh, an update of uh, PDF ID, is that um, they try to evade detection by um, prefixing the PDF header with some random bytes. So a PDF document also always starts has to start with a percent uh, PDF right. and then the version number of uh, the language, not, not of the reader, but of uh, the PDF language uh, that uh, has been used. So that's the, it has to be the very first uh, entry in the PDF uh, file. But um, the PDF specifications and the PDF uh, readers, then, like uh, I've tested uh, Adobe, Foxit, and uh, also Sumatra PDF, those are more forgiving. They will uh, identify a PDF document if it contains that uh, particular magic string in the first 2024 bytes. See, and the thing that uh, we see now is that um, evasion uh, techniques are used so that they will prepend that prefix um, so that PDF header with some random bytes in the hope that uh, some antivirus uh, programs or other IDS tools uh, will not detect it as PDF. Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then decide it's not a PDF file, so I don't have to take a closer look mm. at, for example, JavaScript. Right, right. So do you find that antivirus uh, has good coverage for this, these kinds of uh, PDF attacks or not? No. <laughs> Especially, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's getting a bit better, but... Um, why do you think that is? Again, because it's a very com- well. They they have to pause the format. Yeah, yeah. So they and have to they have are, a PDF uh, reader built into their antivirus product. Essentially. Yeah, almost. Yeah, and and it also renders the the antivirus engine uh, vulnerable because if they, for yeah. example, also make a mistake in the JBIC two uh, encoding, for example, mm-hmm. because that uh, that bug was present in uh, in many readers. So it could be that it was also present in some of the antivirus uh, engines. Mm-hmm. And then you could try to write an exploit for the antivirus engine mm-hmm. and uh, have your code run with a system account, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if the, if the uh, antivirus uh, engine is not uh, well designed because um, those engines should uh, run with a restricted uh, user account to do the scanning so that in case of uh, exploitation... Uh, well, damage is limited. So you live in uh, Belgium, obviously. Yep. What's the hacking scene like there? Is there a lot of community built around, uh, you know, uh, information security, hacking? Yeah, yeah. We have um, several communities around uh, information security. We have uh, the ISSA, the local chapter of uh, ISSA. Mm Mm-hmm. Was uh, active uh, OWASP local chapter of uh, OWASP is uh, also active. Uh, one of um, the the board members, I believe, even the president of uh, the OWASP uh, chapter here in Belgium, was also one of the organizers of uh, the Brucon uh, conference that was held uh, in September. And then you have also several hackerspaces that uh, are starting to pop up, popping up. So the first hackerspace was here in Brussels, but now I'm hearing that uh, they are trying to uh, start hackerspaces in uh, other major cities here. Mm. 
and, and, and Belgium is also a small country. We have a population of about 10 million. Um, so for uh, information security people that come to uh, OWASP uh, uh, or ICSA meetings, you uh, almost uh, see most of the people back there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. For example, uh, um, someone that was very kind enough to bring me beer when I was in Amsterdam, uh, Wim. Yep, Wim Remus. Yes. Yes, yes, I recognize <laughs> <it>. Yes, <coughs> we know Wim. Very nice. So uh, do you need someone to come speak at an OWASP meeting? And or BrewCon to drink beer? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Um, I think that um, in, uh, in a month or two, the CFP for uh, BrewCon will go out. Very interesting. Nice. So, what is, what is BrewCon and, and how did it get started? Well, I, I was a volunteer uh, for BrewCon. BrewCon was started by a couple of people here who wanted to, uh, to have a security and hackers conference here uh, in uh, Belgium. We, we had no uh, conference uh, here in Belgium itself. Uh, there, was a conf- there is a conference uh, in uh, Luxembourg, uh, was uh, nearby. That's uh, Hackelu. Hackelu, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And a couple of people here got the idea um, that they also wanted a conference here in uh, in Belgium, and that's uh, how it uh, got started. One one of the people, uh, the driving forces behind it, is like I said, uh, the guy from Hovasp, uh, Sebastian de Leersneder. But uh, you also have, um, for example, Peter Danieux, whom. Uh, uh-huh. Is uh, from SANS, is also a SANS instructor, and uh, gave um, in London uh, uh, a SANS course uh, with John Strand. Mm. Yes. And then you have also Benny, who is better known with this uh, security, uh, with his Twitter handle, uh, Security for All. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, he so he's involved with BrewCon as well? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. He's one of the founding members of BrewCon. Nice, nice. So, uh, and, um, yeah, you know what? I, I've, I've just recently come up with uh, a, a talk that I'm going to start working on. I just came up with the title and uh, I need to start working on it. So I will, uh, I'm going to look for the BrewCon CFP and I am going to submit a paper to the BrewCon CFP because I have recognized it as a conference that I, ha- I, it mu- I must attend this year. So. Yeah, that's good. You certainly have to do that. Mm. It was a fun conference. Yeah, it sounded like it for sure. And there was really good beer. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, of course. You know, and then we we also had a, a fun uh, hacker challenge, the the hex factor. Uh, Peter Daniel was uh, the driving force, and uh, I helped uh, out to produce uh, hacker challenges, like for example, of course, uh, a PDF document that you had to analyze. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was also reverse engineering. Um, so it also uh, we had an mp3 file that you had to listen to and uh, in the mp3 file uh, was some dtmf codes mm-hmm. that you had to recognize oh, nice so this was so a, a, a hacker a hacker challenge just uh, for the participants who attended uh, brucon yeah, yeah for the attendees mm-hmm. and we uh, we we just started uh, today had our first uh, meeting to uh, plan for the next edition mm-hmm. in uh, in september nice very cool so, uh, Didier, was there anything else you wanted to talk about uh, as far as uh, what you've got going on there in uh, in Belgium? It sounds like uh, sounds like a place that we need to visit. Is really what it, what it yeah, sounds you, like. You certainly do. <laughs> See, well, I had a question uh, for you, Paul. Yeah. Did you get Did you get your poken from? 
I did, and I haven't used it yet. Wait, yeah, you, have, you have two pokens? No, yeah, I got yeah, I got a pokin. Tom Tom Eston from Security Justice gave me a pokin. Yeah, where is it? <laughs> it's in my bag. Plug it into your computer right now. Okay. Yeah. No, because <laughs> and then after I pulled my pants up, he handed me this RFID thing that lets you exchange information. <laughs> see, because see, Dave Lauer from Security Justice gave me a pokin. What? Oh, and I asked and then you, you pulled your pants up. He gave you yeah, one of those RFID yeah, bags yeah, yeah. too. And then, then I came over here and I asked, "Dude, where's your poking?" And you pulled your pants down. And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I you said I already got one from Tom. Yeah, but no, you couldn't find it. So now we're gonna have to test our poking. We'll have to test the poke. So, Diddy, for those that don't know, what the heck is a poking? A poking is a small RFID gadget uh, that you use to um, befriend people from your virtual world in, in the real world. So, for example, you can uh, associate your token uh, with uh, Facebook account, LinkedIn account, and then if you meet people in real life also as a token, you can befriend each other by just uh, making your token touch each other, and then they will glow because they're happy. Mm. <laughs> that, sound, that sounds uh, very um, uh, kinky. Japanese. Kinky. Yeah. Comes from Japan, right? I believe it's from Switzerland. Switzerland, okay. And now you wrote a you wrote a poking tool. Yep, yep. <laughs> I have a well to uh, de- decode I have a the binary <laughs> data that it's uh, on the on the poking. It's in my pants. <laughs> Sorry, I was just saying I wrote a poking tool. It's it. I, I have a poking tool. It's in my pants, but that's different. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Larry's poking tool. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see Paul's poking tool. It's Only his wife yeah, can see. Yeah, you don't want to see Paul's poking yeah. tool. So I'm sorry, Didier. What what was the the tool that you wrote to interface with the poking? Well, one thing is that um, the befriending data mm-hmm. is uh, stored uh, on the poking, and uh, when you want to uh, upload your befriendings you did in the real life mm-hmm. to your virtual accounts you have to plug in the token via USB in your right. in your machine and it's not uh, limited to to windows machines because uh, the it's a really simple uh, gadget it will just emulate uh, a PDF, uh, no, not PDF. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it will uh, emulate a USB stick and it contains an HTML file with the URL that contains all the data. So if you double-click or auto-run that uh, HTML file, you go to the Poken website, and one of the security risks there is is that uh, when I created uh, my Poken account to test, is that auto-login uh, was enabled. So I just had to plug in the Poken into my... Uh, computer and I would automatically log in into the Poken website. Mm-hmm. And you have to know that all the um, data is uh, in a HTTP GET command. So it will uh, be logged, for example, in proxies or, uh, well, it, it will leave several traces mm-hmm. when it, uh, it uh, propagates through the Internet. See, that's why I haven't been using mine, because the security just seemed atrocious. Yeah, me too. I, I, I just... Uh, Research the stuff and mm. didn't use it. Right, 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 right. And uh, Paul, one of the things that that I need to look at is you know the RFID transfer, and I haven't had an opportunity to do that. Um, the RFID stuff is sitting in a box in my office, and I've got 
two RFID things that I need to analyze and mm. haven't gotten there. Yeah, could you like yeah, em- yeah. could you emulate and then collect everyone's like friend information kind of thing? Yeah, then again it's depending on distance and Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got your ham radio license now. So yeah, and yeah, give you special super cow powers. It, it does give me super cow powers to know that you know one of the things that we got feedback from a while back about you know trying to develop an antenna large enough to pick up 900 megahertz from a distance away would be the size of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to pick up you know really low. Um, Low powered, yeah, know, yeah, low right. megahertz. Well, no, they're doing that with now. Didier, do you have the passports in Belgium that have the RFID chips in it? Yeah, we have them, but I don't have such a passport. Ah. I gotcha. So I, I did see someone that was doing war driving and, and picking up, yep. trying to pick up people's passports. Yep, yep. So that's possible for that kind of RFID chip, right? right. Which I'm assuming is different than the one using the Pokin, but probably, yeah, yeah, so, you know, a little bit more expensive, yep. different frequencies, and mm. so forth. Well, uh, no, it's also uh, one of the common frequencies, uh, 125 kilohertz. Yep. Mm. Uh, and the nice thing about that is that you now can use uh, that token uh, as a simple RFID detector. Ah. Because if you uh, hold it up to an RFID reader that uh, operates on the same frequency, 125 kilohertz, it will not be able, of course, to establish uh, communication with that reader, and it will start to uh, flash uh, it's with red lead. Oh, that's pretty cool. Interesting. I like that. Very and interesting. Th- th- that's the only uh, reason I'm using my poker now is to detect those readers. <laughs> Very cool. Nice. Not, not to make friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> RFID detection on the cheap. Very cool. Yeah. Well, Didier, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. It was uh, a hey, pleasure to have you on. Uh, finally, we we've, we had you on the show um, after you've been a listener and, and giving us regular feedback for so long. So And awesome tools for so long. Yes, thank you for, for all of that uh, hard work. And Did uh, you have anything you wanted to, else you want to talk about, plug, such as your blog? Yeah, but you already plugged my book. <laughs> and um, if you want, uh, I can have some of those PDF stickers for your listeners. Oh, that yes. would be fantastic! The PDF stickers. The, these PDF stickers, the the penetration so the, well, document for format, the ones that people that aren't. Uh, format, yeah, I can, I can yeah. send you ten stickers for yeah. the listeners. Penetration document format. We'll bring those to ShmooCon with us. We'll have them at our table at ShmooCon. So, thank you very much, Didier. You're welcome. And uh, you're obviously more than welcome to stick around and um, listen and participate with the uh, stories for discussion. Of course, it's very late where you are, so I understand. Yeah, but uh, I'm more awake than I was uh, an hour ago. Okay. uh, (laughs) Okay. It's not late. It's early now. Yeah, it's early now. Exactly. Uh, So with that, we'll take a short commercial break and come back with stories for this week.